slasher spree Where mysteries and terror be And darkness comes for you and me Join us on a slasher spree There's no place to hide And soon you'll see Siblings on a slasher spree Oh, I was just going to say welcome to our first episode of 2024, but that would be incorrect. So I can't welcome you to our first episode. Um, we were very lazy over the holidays, and we may have pre-recorded the episode on taxidermy. Well, I mean, then this means it's our first recorded episode of 2024, and that's still fun. And we do have a doozy for you today. Yes. So huzzah. Happy Ooh. 2024 record day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have a fascinating topic um, that has kept our attention for many decades. For those of you that uh, don't read the episode titles, uh, <laughs> today's episode is on the history of forensic science. Ooh. So I have personally read a plethora of books on this so i may actually know what i'm talking about from time to time how refreshing <laughs> okay <laughs> let's just dive in then crime has existed in society since the dawn of time mm -hmm. this manifested itself in the form of good against evil the criminal against the law in the ancient world the king used to decide on a culprit and punish them which was super cruel and not mm. super just mm. uh, these punishments were applied in favor of their mere existence so just to show like how powerful they were as rulers and i don't often get to say this very often but this seems like a good moment mm -hmm. and down with the patriarchy uh finger snaps finger snaps <laughs> <laughs> gradually everything changed um the man with knowledge replaced the king, uh, and punishments were given with respect to the intensity of the intensity of the crime the culprit had committed. Uh, now, when a crime occurs, the court of law decides the culprit and the punishment is based on the evidence and statements produced by the authorized official, um, otherwise known as witnesses, uh, in front of the court. <laughs> <laughs> the content of crime and punishment has changed over time. And the concept of the perpetrator and punishment is now, as you said, based on evidence and mm -hmm. statements. This evidence can be anything from hair follicles and microfibers to straight up DNA that will... <laughs> Does DNA get a foghorn? And that will help to unmask murderers, solve old crimes, and even set the innocent free. Mm -hmm. And these are the aspects of forensic sciences that balance the scales of criminal justice. Ooh, I, I see the the lady with the the, the scales and the yes, yes. <laughs> I like her. I feel like she's a strong, powerful bitch. Yeah. Uh, so our ancestors applied forensic science in various fields without really even knowing the science behind it. Ooh. So let's talk about mummies, not like the mummy that we have slash a <laughs> mummy, but like the mummy with the bandages and stuff. Okay, so this is I, I'm about to go down a rabbit hole. So please reel me in if it 
if it goes mm-hmm. too far. But mm-hmm. someone had posed a very interesting question to me the other day, and oh. I can't stop thinking about it. And it is oh. re- regarding mummies. So oh. they said, like, you know, in the world of horror, mm-hmm. you know, we've got vampires who come and they suck your blood. Yes. And we've got zombies who come and they eat your brains. Yes. But what are mummies doing to you when they catch you? <laughs> like, why are they well, so are scary? Mu- are mummies ever chasing you? I mean, I guess as well as they can but well no but like when was the last like movie you watched where like a mummy was you know what i mean like there's a million zombie movies there's a million dracula movies or sorry vampire movies are there mummy i guess there's the mummy i mean there is that even about wasn't that more about like like a curse or something i don't know i just found it really interesting because we're like "Ooh, mummies are scary but like what are they actually doing to us if Mm. and when they catch us i don't know anyway (laughs) food for thought let's circle back yeah the religious rite of mummification marks the true birth of forensic science as well Mm -hmm. even as early as 3000 bc ancient egyptians removed analyzed and preserved the internal organs of deceased leaders for sacred ceremonies These rituals are considered to be the first form of autopsies, which is obviously still an important part of forensic research Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And now, uh, ancient Greece, the origin of modern logic, medicine, and pharmacology, should come as no surprise as the first major actor in forensic science. Mm -hmm. The ancient Greeks were able to establish the cause of a murder in a basic way by examining toxins and their effects on the body. The basis of the present system was developed by the ancient Romans, who also contributed much to the forensic sciences. Uh, Quintilian, a Roman orator, used forensics in court as early as the first century. Hmm. In an instructional judicial case, judicial, authored by the Roman jurist, Quintilian, uh, or one of his students in the early 2nd century AD, a bloody handprint loomed large. Oh, so this case (laughs) is dubbed Peri Palmatus, which translates to the wall of handprints. That sounds terrifying. It was very Uh, branchy. Thank you. And it features a blind son who is accused of killing his father in his sleep to obtain his inheritance. Now, that was worded weird. So the killing, his father was asleep. The blind son wasn't asleep when he killed the father. Thank you for clarifying. Okay, because I got confused and I wrote it. (laughs) Do you think it was like a sleepwalk murder? Yeah, well, that's kind of how it read, but anyway. Uh, The blind man allegedly grabbed his sword from his chamber, strolled across the house in the dark of night into his father and stepmother's bedroom and killed his father while not disturbing his stepmother, who discovered her husband dead beside her when she awoke. Mm, I feel like a a sword killing would disturb me, but... (laughs) I've slept through worse, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A trail of bloody handprints led back from the parents' room to the blind son's room. Quintilian proposed defense is that the stepmother did it, um, (gasps) not the son, because she was furious that she would lose out on the father's riches if the blind son inherited it. Um, Mm. So she framed the blind man with his own father's blood 
So the statement here, and I quote, it was the stepmother. Yes, the stepmother who set this up with her sure sight. It was she with her right hand who brought that poor blood there and made the imprint of her hand on the wall intermittently. The wall bears the imprints of one palm, has them at intervals with a certain empty space in the middle. And everywhere the palm print is intact, a blind man, on the other hand, would have dragged his hands along the wall, end quote. Ooh. Right? He's spilling the tea. Yeah. Quintilian goes on to describe how the stepmother's grip on the sword's hilt prevented her palm from getting blood on it, and how the handprints along the wall, with an empty space in the middle, suggest the person who killed the father was also the one who made the prints. This is an example of a bloodstain pattern uh, that was interpreted that... um, like that that interpretation and that case could be presented in modern day court. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, in general, the Romans appeared to have been reasonably good in bloodstain pattern analysis and reconstruction, despite their lack of modern understanding of the properties and classification of blood. For centuries after the fall of the Roman Empire, court justice was dormant. Forensic science became increasingly abstract as a result. Pathology, on the other hand, was employed by the ancient Chinese to solve crimes, contributing to the development of forensic science at the time. Yeah. So they cleansed and studied the bodies of the deceased, and they were even able to distinguish between accidents and murders. Uh, By the 13th century, the first literature to determine cause of death was written by Song Qi in China, and the literature work was named Ziyan Li. This book is widely known as Collected Cases of Injustice Rectified or Washing Away the Wrongs. That's quite the translation Mm -hmm. i'm here for it yeah (laughs) this book was written based on the real incidents and experiences that are linked to his scientific knowledge to avoid injustice in the future most of the topics covered are based on scientific knowledge and a few of them are post-mortem examination emergency treatment causes of death different kinds of death procedures of treating the victims after hanging etc etc this book was actually considered the handbook of coroners at the time so we can take the 16th to 19th centuries as the most developed period of forensic science but it is more understandable and appropriate to touch on specific parts of forensic science to explore this period firstly Medical practitioners were the first to collect information on the cause and manner of death in 16th century Europe. Ooh, this is very Francais. (laughs) Ambrose Ferret, a French army surgeon, examined the effects of violent death on internal organs in great detail. In addition, ooh, these are some names, Fortunato Mm. Fidelis and Paola Zaccia, two Italian surgeons, Created Ooh, I feel the like you gra- could more Italian with those. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me yeah. try again. In yeah. addition, I have to shake my, my hand here. Too. Yes. Yes. Fortunato Fidelis and Paolo Zaccia. Is that better? Perfection. I, <laughs> I can you. see the with the, the hand, the fingers the touching. 
Like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So they were two Italian surgeons and they created the groundwork for contemporary pathology. They were able to do so by studying the changes in the body's structure as a result of sickness. The relevance of forensic science increased with the advent of the 17th century owing to other scientific advancements. Like that of fingerprint analysis uh, in 1880, the use of this technique to link occurrences to suspects was a huge step forward in forensic science. Mm -hmm. The revolutionary notion of Henry Folds, Folds, uh, (laughs) and ooh, I like this one, William James. Oh, sorry, William James Herschel, uh, based on the uniqueness of fingerprints, led to fingerprint analysis. The study drew widespread support from specialists throughout the world, and it was eventually acknowledged as essential evidence in the legal system. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, for the identification of business documents, the ancient Chinese used fingerprint analysis. Uh, Francis Galton and Edward Henry were the ones who put Herschel's fingerprinting techniques into practice in criminal investigations. Uh, Sir Francis Galton, oh, that's so fancy. Sir Francis Galton pioneered- That's how I would like it. Oh, because it was now we're French? Okay. Sir Francis Galton- pioneered the first fingerprint classification method. After that, the direction, flow, pattern, and other characteristics in fingerprints were employed by Sir Edward Henry, the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police of London to build a system. It is important to emphasize the case related to these innovations at that time. There is a notable example of forensic science in the 18th and 19th centuries. This document demonstrates how forensic investigators used reasoning and scientific processes processes to conduct criminal investigations during that time period. Uh, A person called John Toms was found guilty in Lancaster of murdering Edward Colshaw with a handgun. The precise matching of the handgun was a vital element that turned the case around. Uh, This was discovered beside Colshaw's body, along with a torn newspaper found in Tom's pocket. Ooh. So the analysis of evidence from firearms Mm -hmm. that may have been used in a crime is known as... Forensic ballistics. All right. When a gun fires a bullet, microscopic markings are left on the bullet and cartridge casings. Uh, these marks have the appearance of ballistic fingerprints. If forensic examiners find bullets at a crime scene, they can test fire a suspect's gun and compare the marks on the crime scene bullet to the marks on the test fired bullet. Uh, hence why if you're murdering someone with a gun always collect your shell casings it's like Mm. it always always gets you in trouble if you don't yes yes um henry goddard goddard oh wait this is scottish can i do i don't think i can do scottish henry goddard Goddard of scotland yard what the hell is that as good as it's gonna get today was the first to use physical analysis (laughs) to link a bullet to a murder weapon in 1835 damn that's that's a long time ago that was that That was was very long time ago approaching 200 200 years years. yeah i thought yeah i feel like ballistics like that's more of like a modern thing but i guess not that's wild 
Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on now to forensic toxicology, which Ooh. is the study of the toxic effect of chemicals and xenobiotics. Xenobiotics on I don't know why that felt Spanish um, <laughs> on living organisms, uh, particularly humans or animals. Toxicology involves studying the symptoms, mechanisms, detection, and treatments of poisoning of a living body. Mm. Woo. In clinical toxicology, the end user is a physician using the findings to treat and care for an intoxicated or poisoned patient. Mm. Well, in forensic toxicology, the end user can be a physician, a non-medical professional such as a lawyer, an employee, or a police officer using the results to interpret a cause of death, uh, employment eligibility, or Mm. compliance with workforce laws and terms. Oh, okay. So there's like different uses okay you have to be reasons (laughs) yes and now you have to be swedish oh oh okay Mm. carl wilhelm scheel (laughs) i don't know what a swedish accent sounds like (laughs) a swedish chemist uh invented the first chemical test for detecting arsenic in bodies in 1773 uh, in 1806, a German, oh no, a German chemist, Valentin, nah, <laughs> German. Du hast mich. I can't. I, I don't think I would do. A ve- no, Valentin Ross. <laughs> it's not even that hard to say. Uh, I was gonna say, well, it's not even a very German-sounding name. But. No, it's not. <laughs> um, so. In 1806, a German chemist, Valentin Ross, expanded on his findings in order to identify poison in the lining of the stomach walls. The first application of this technique was by Scottish chemist James Marsh. No. In 1836. At the time, this test had been effectively used in a murder case. That's cool. Allow me to compose myself. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I had uh, Swedish, German, and Scottish. Well, it's very hard to bring them to mind. This is the thing. It's only, it's all right when you're always not going to and happy, happy. It's always, you understand? In like three sentences. So it was, it was a ride. Um, I don't want to get off, but we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna move forward. Uh, the development of newer forensic procedures for evaluating evidence exploded in the early 20th century. As a result, law enforcement authorities realized the need for specialized forensic investigator teams to gather and analyze evidence. Edmund Lacard, popularly known as the Sherlock Holmes of France, was Ooh. a. I know. I wish I was the Sherlock Holmes of anything Canada. Canada's maybe a stretch. Let's say Etobicoke. Maybe I'm the Sherlock Holmes of Etobicoke. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, he was a 19th century forensic scientist. He is considered as one of the three founders of forensic science and had a pivotal influence in the global development of criminalistics. So keep going. So (laughs) what useful innovations in the field of forensic science does the future hold? The first one is bone protein preservation. Yes, <gasps> yes queen! 
I was waiting for something there. I know. I didn't know what to do. I panicked, so I went with a gasp. (laughs) Uh, The study, which was published in the Journal of Proteome Research, looks at proteins in bones and can help researchers learn more about them. Uh, Bones contain a wealth of data that can be useful in forensic investigations. And bone proteins can be used to identify how long ago someone died and their age at the time of death. Now, my question here before we move on is how many times is Leo going to put in a boy (laughs) after every time I said bone? (laughs) Bone. I hope it's a lot. (laughs) Okay, we'll find out. Oh, the suspense. (laughs) Oh, is it my turn? It is. Oh, it is my turn. Uh, So the capacity to read these levels, on the other hand, is extremely reliant on both innate and external circumstances, such as Mm. burial conditions. So this constraint may limit the potential of molecular. Nope. Let me try again. That was correct. Oh, that was correct. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You know, when I do get it right, I doubt myself. And then, oh, man, reading (laughs) is hard. Uh, so as we were saying, this constraint may limit the potential of molecular approaches in forensic research. The researchers discovered numerous proteins whose levels were unaffected by being entombed in mausoleums. I've also always loved that word. It's a good word. Like I'm going to be buried in a mausoleum. It's just very sophisticated. It is. Uh, or buried in the ground, like bonk. Um, like the peasants. <laughs> uh, by comparing the proto, pro, how did you say it, Randy? Uh, proteums. Proteums. <laughs> you sounded so official there. Um, by comparing the proteums of exhumed persons who had been entombed in mausoleums or buried in the ground. Bonk. <laughs> <laughs> So secondly, viewing fingerprints in a more accurate manner. Mm. Latent fingerprints discovered at crime sites are analyzed in criminal investigations. Current approaches, on the other hand, have drawbacks such as limited contrast, sensitivity, and toxicity. What? (laughs) What is that word? Toxicity. Toxicity. (laughs) The toxicity. With the taste of your lips. Um, (laughs) You're toxic, I'm slipping under. I wonder if I'll know what that is. I I think everyone would. Mm. Well, every gay man would, anyway. Um, We are butchering this. Okay. We are. Uh, A new method for making luminous carbon dot powders that can be used to detect latent fingerprints has been discovered. (gasps) Oh, no, 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 no. Fingerprints flash in red, orange, and yellow under UV light thanks to these novel multicolor carbon dots. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So it's like a, like a, like, you know, in the shows when they like dust for fingerprints? Yes. Is that essentially what this is? So it's like a a fancy dust? I believe so. That's kind of what we're saying? Let's go with it. 
Unlike DNA, a person's complement of proteins or proteome changes throughout time, providing vital information about when they died and how old they were when they died. Taking all of this into account, we can expect that forensic science is going to be more accurate and innovative in the future, which will make it easier to solve crimes because, mm-hmm. which I recently learned, which I thought oh. was super interesting, okay, is that uh, taking someone's current DNA and cross-referencing it with cold cases can actually be very problematic because our DNA does change over time. So if, for instance, mm-hmm. someone was convicted of a crime based on their DNA back in 1980 or whenever it kind of okay. came onto the scene, yeah, and then they were going through, say, an appeals process now and had their DNA tested now, it would not be a match. What? No. Then how do they, no. how do they solve cold cases? It's all the DNA. Yeah, but apparently it's super unreliable. And because our DNA does change, not substantially, but enough to make it or enough to give the, um, what's that like word? Like reasonable for? doubt? Thank you. Yes. So it's oh, weird. I don't like that. Yeah, it's super weird. Um, I'll send you a link. Interesting. I did not find this link on Facebook in case anyone. <laughs> I was going to say, how reliable is this? Like a flat earther situation? Or... <laughs> uh... <laughs> so I think the best part about this topic is that we really have barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many branches and subcategories in this field that there is not enough time in the day to go through them all. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, we don't want to hear us struggle through this anymore. <laughs> Uh, We do, however, still have some time to discuss our favorite books on the topic. So actually, before we talk Mm. about books, I actually wanted to be a forensic psychologist. That was like like what I wanted to be when I grew up sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. If you couldn't tell by um, my sounding out and reading skills, um, it's actually very hard to earn a doctorate. Um, (laughs) You don't say turns out it just wasn't for me. Uh, mm. But I even had like, I had it all planned out. I knew where I was going to work. Um, Waypoint, which is in Penetanguishene. Um, I think it's been renamed. I don't know. Oh. Maybe it's still, maybe it's still Waypoint. Um, but anyways, I used to like stalk their website all the time and look at all of their like open positions and be like, oop, that's for me. Oop, that's for me. Uh, never got there, but I wonder if they have any open positions. It's never too late um for you it might be and i say this (laughs) i say this because i refuse to let you move to penetanguishene oh that's fair yeah i don't want to do that that sounds gross um i'm gonna i'm gonna you're gonna okay so here's here's the plan you're gonna tell me about a book that you've enjoyed on this topic while i see if there's any job postings (laughs) at which point Well, fair enough, because I am ready to talk about books. Yes. Okay, so I did have to condense my list a little bit. No Um, doubt. Yeah, but I started with a lot. (laughs) But in the script three, we're only going to do two. Okay, I was going to say, give me your top two. Yeah, okay. Uh, So the first one, which is very important to me in a lot of ways, it was probably one of the first books that I owned as a person. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to some people. However, I did spend a lot of time 
from the age of like 17 to the age of like now moving a lot, like a lot, a lot. So books was always something that I never provided myself the luxury of because I was like, oh, son of a bee, I got to move this. Yes. Right. So I was like, no, books books hard. No, books are heavy. That's Uh, just that's just facts. So anyway, this was one of the first books that I bought was like, no, I need to own this book because I found it absolutely fascinating. I don't know if you've read it yet, Chris, but I don't think I have. But drumroll, please, for you to drumroll, please. So this book is called Beyond the Body Farm by William M. Bass. This book is so <laughs> fascinating. I don't I don't think it's quite there. Okay. Um but I, I appreciate the passion. Um this book is important because I'm gonna actually just read you the publisher's description of the book because it's gonna oh, okay. summarize it a lot better than I can. But then I'm gonna talk about how much I love it after. Mm. Uh There is no scientist in the world like Dr. Bill Bass. A pioneer in forensic anthropology, Bass created the world's first laboratory dedicated to the study of human decomposition. Three acres of land on a hillside in Tennessee where human bodies are left to the elements. Mm -hmm. His research at, quote, the body farm has revolutionized forensic science, helping police crack cold cases and pinpoint time of death. But during a forensics career that spans half a century, Bass and his work have ranged far beyond the gates of the body farm. In this riveting book, The Bone Sleuth, which I love, which I was called (laughs) Boing, Uh, he explores the rise of modern forensic science using fascinating cases from his career to take readers into the real world of CSI. So. Oh, wait. Yeah. perfect so number one i find this entire thing completely fascinating yeah so this guy was like okay no like let's figure out how long it takes a body to decompose let's find out how long it takes for like maggots and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lo-fi lava and all of that that wonderful horrific stuff that happens to your body post death Mm-hmm. Uh, and then use it for science, which is so cool. So, like, you can literally yeah. go to this. Well, you can't just like go take a public bus and just take show up stroll. and say, "Hey, <laughs> you know, it's not quite a like that." But Sunday walk. You can book um, appointments uh, to go and take a, a tour of this farm, uh, and you can literally see. And again, because it, what did I say? It was three acres of land. He's done this. So some bodies are in the sun. Some are in the shade. Mm -hmm. Some are buried. Some are in the trees. Some are like at this stage of the process. Some are at that stage of the process. And they Mm -hmm. literally just have scientists there studying, taking notes. Yeah. Entering all of this information. It's so cool. And I don't know why I love this book. It's probably one of the books I've read the most. Oh, Um. Because every time I read it, I find something else that's super fascinating. And I didn't even write body farms into the script of like the history of forensic science because it was just such a monster Mm. that I kind of want to just do it as a separate episode. But we'll circle back to that. Okay. Yes. You read it and then we'll we'll do a whole episode on it because I do find it fascinating. 
Okay. Okay. Um, what's one so, of yours, Chris Hay? Well, if you're wondering, Waypoint is hiring. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if I would like, so they're hiring a family physician. Um, I, I don't, I, That's I don't not have that. Quite, no. No. Womp. Uh, registered social worker. Uh, they actually have, which it, honestly, this is kind of another topic as well. They actually have 53, five, three open positions, oh. um, which I think, again, just speaks to like the mental health world and how mm. incredibly understaffed and underpaid and all of those things and just how the system is, again, maybe a separate episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. 53 open positions. So if you are a uh, nurse, if you are a doctor, I don't think I know any doctors. Um, our friend circle isn't quite that sophisticated. Are they um, Are they by any chance looking for amateur podcasters to... Ooh, okay. Page three, no. <laughs> or no. Okay, we'll circle no. back. Yeah. Um, but stay tuned, maybe... <laughs> Maybe, Maybe you never know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send this episode to uh, Doctor Bass and and see if he. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, we could interview him. Oh. <gasps> Actually, I think he might be dead, but I'm not. Oh. <laughs> don't don't quote me on that. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, it looks like Waypoint is uh, is out of range. But if you are a nurse or anybody in the mental health field, great place to work. Have a look at the openings. Yeah. Give me your, give me your, okay. So I have one book. Um, I mean, for the record, I've read more than one book. (laughs) I was going to say, it's the one book you've read. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've read quite a few books. Um, But one book, like when we were talking about this, really stuck out. uh, Mm -hmm. And it's called Shrunk. Uh, Crime and Disorders of the Mind, uh, True Cases by Forensic Psychologists and Psychiatrists. So, so good. Like, just so, so good. I also love a book that, like, when we're talking, um, like, true crime and Mm -hmm. and forensics and that sort of thing. Yeah. I love a book that has many different stories in it. Right. Even though yep. like, yes, Dahmer and uh, Bundy and Gacy of the worlds yep. have many books um, dedicated to, you know, just the one person and the and the series of their crimes and that sort yep. of thing. Um, so I just I like when there's the multiples in there. Um, yep. And this is just it's it's very, very good. Um, unlike any other book within like the genre of true crime, um, it just, it, it has like a unique bridge between mental health and law. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, so, okay. I'll, I'll read just a quick little, um, Ooh. Like just on the on the like back of the book, right? Uh, oh, chapters yeah. focus on cases where judges and juries call upon the opinions of forensic experts when dealing with the mentally disordered criminally accused. Mm. It's very good. So again, it's called Shrunk, um, and uh, it's by Laureen Shaiba and mm. J. Thomas Dolby. 
Oh, this is Highly. fun. The next time I see you, we're going to be doing a little book exchange. Oh, I f honestly, I'm pretty sure I have given you this book to read. Um, oh, I've maybe had I have for read a it a long time. But I read a lot of books. It's very hard to keep track. I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me give me one more of your of your faves. Okay, so the other one I just read this one recently, and it was as insightful as it was hilarious. Oh. Uh, and it's called "Never Suck a Dead Man's Hand" uh, by Naturally. Dana Coleman. Perfect. Naturally, there is a story behind it. I won't go into the specifics because you know spoilers. Um, <laughs> but she does trip while investigating a body, and does end up with the guy's hand in her mouth um oh my 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 i guess this oh my. stuff happens so she wrote a book about it uh the publisher's description is as follows Ooh. step past the flashing lights into the true scene of the crime with this frank unflinching and unforgettable account of life as a crime scene Ooh. investigator whether explaining rigor mortis or the art of fingerprinting a stiff corpse on the side of the road and it got in her mouth the, yeah yeah spoilers uh dana coleman details her true unvarnished experiences as a csi for the baltimore county police department unveiling the process and science of crime scene investigation in all its can't tear your eyes away fascination mm. never suck a dead man's hand takes you into the strange world behind the yellow tape offering a truly eye-opening perspective on the day-to-day -day life of a csi it is worth your time because it is huh. funny what a, which is what not a something you delightful change yeah yeah right because i mean i like yeah i like my humor very dark mm. mm -hmm. um and this is in no way like humorous in in the way that it would be disrespectful it's not it's not that but yeah yeah um just being her spin on things kind of thing yeah her spin and i yeah. mean when you're in this type of field you do oh, have, have to yes. develop some type of like dark humor of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Right. In order yep. to cope. Um, yep. And I feel like it, it comes across very well in the book. And even for someone who may be not super into it, I think would find it interesting in, in that it's okay. very relatable to like the average person. Yeah. Um, so, hmm. yeah. Very cool. So in conclusion, beyond the body farm by mm -hmm. William M. Bass, Mm -hmm. we recommend yes we recommend if you are a nurse or a mental health professional checking out the open positions at waypoint <laughs> we recommend shrunk by lorraine shaiba and thomas dolby mm -hmm. and last but not least we recommend never suck a dead man's hand by dana coleman yep all I would definitely give a five out of five cadavers for. What? <laughs> Perfect. Is that, a, is that a rating system that we have? I, five out of five cadaver. I am here for it. Perfect. I will make a graphic. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been Kristen. And Randy. Slashing our way into your hearts. And nightmares. Happy haunting. Bye, witches. Bye.